This is Frontierland with Dr. Dean Allen. 22 years ago, Angus Schulter Douglas returned home to the Eastern Cape to establish the magnificent Quandway Private Game Reserve on the banks of the Great Fish River. Today, Quandway, with an area of over 22,000 hectares, has become a model of what effective ecotourism can achieve in terms of community upliftment, environmental regeneration and biodiversity. Listen here on Frontierland as Angus recalls his own journey from the plains of Marla Marla to becoming one of the most significant figures in the efforts to rewild large areas of the Eastern Cape. Enjoy. Well, Angus, what a pleasure it is to be here at Quandway. 22,000 hectares of prime game reserve in the heart of the Eastern Cape. How did all this come about? Um, yeah, Dean, thanks very much for being here. I think uh, it, it came about, I suppose, with the, the vision of, of four people um, when we met uh, an American couple when my wife and I were working up in northern Botswana. Um, and it was a one of those discussions around a dinner table that that led to a vision and a dream. Um, I would I would love to say that you know that there was a kind of blueprint that we put down here and followed and um, you know and, and it turned out to what it is today. But it, it didn't happen like that at all. It was it was quite an organic process and uh, and you know we were able to acquire land as as land came up and and create the kind of shape that we have um, now um, and it it really was fortuitous to us and not fortuitous to others that uh, ostrich farming was was you know experiencing one of its many difficult times and um, we were able to acquire this this land and and put the property together and um, yeah it's, it took us two years and we learned an enormous amount along the way we opened exactly nine days before 9/11, so it was, uh, you know, the 2nd of September. So it was, you know, in 2001. It we certainly got got off to a rocky start. Um, that you know, as as you'll recall, there was limited international travel. But yeah, that that just prepared us, I suppose, for for what was to come in the cycles of of wildlife tourism. It's quite a story, though, isn't it? Because you're from this area originally, I believe, and you're working up in the north. And it was always your ambition, I believe, to, to come back to this area at some stage and, and do something like this. Yeah, well, I think anyone who who's born and bred in the Eastern Cape and then leaves it always wants to come back, yeah. um, whether it's to a beach cottage or to a bu- business. Um, you know, that's the thing about this province is it gets into you and, and, it, and it's, you know, it's amazing. Um, you know, our mutual friend Bill Foles said to me, he said, if we could, if we could, if we could sort of bottle... Um, the the spirit and the of generosity of the people in the Eastern Cape would have the most incredible product, you know. Um, and I think that speaks for everyone who comes from this area. They don't really realise it when they come from this area, but the people who don't come from the area talk about it. So you always want to come back. And um, you know, having spent time in in the Sabi Sands, having spent time in northern Botswana and a couple of other wild areas, you know. Um, and seeing what was going on down here, I think uh, it was the the most logical place for us to be. I think it might have been cheaper if we'd gone and bought existing game reserves somewhere near the Kruger, um, but we would never have been able to achieve what we've been able to achieve. You know, one of the one of the things that we must you know must never um, forget is that it's important to expand wild wild areas, 
and wilderness space. Um, we can't just simply lock our national parks and, and provincial game reserves and say, well, that's enough. It's not enough. Um, so we, we need to keep pushing what we call the green frontier um, and, uh, and make sure that, that wild spaces grow. Something special is happening, certainly, at this at this moment in time. I mean, having moved to the Eastern Cape, doing the research that I do, we're changing the landscape, we're changing ways of life, and I'm, I'm really interested in the origins of wildlife tourism, certainly in, in South Africa. And I believe um, you cut your teeth at the very first uh, private game reserve, which was Marla Marla. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, that was a fantastic opportunity. Um, you know, so that was pre-1994, so we weren't terribly busy on the tourism front, <laughs> but we had them, I mean, as young men growing up, um, were some of the most fantastic Shangan trackers. I mean, the learning curve was, was incredible, but the experiences that we had walking, you know, in that area, just on our own, um, just a, a, a bunch of young guys, I mean, it was, it, we just learned so much. Um, but uh, but yeah, to have worked at Mala Mala, I think is uh, has, was a great privilege to have worked with the late Mike Rattray to have um, you know been taught by him. Um, you know his his dad started Mala Mala, um, and to have seen how to develop a product and and to to kind of develop a team that that could understand what a guest wants before they need it and to d- just have the you know all the processes and procedures and everything in place that. That I mean, I, I still go back to so much of that today. So, you know, I'm extremely grateful for that opportunity. But um, yeah, it's uh, it was it was just a time in my life that um, you know that I I'll never have back. But I'm, I'm so grateful for and um, you know the and also for the friendships you know that were made over that time and for the, all the people that we met, movie stars and heads of state and you know it was uh, quite a quite a celebrity spot but um, yeah a really really good grounding I think for this industry okay. and it's so interesting you know today to go to to the travel in Darbe and in Durban and uh, and to meet all my old colleagues who are now running properties uh, or companies or something you know, we we all were you know we all cut our teeth there and and learned from it and and so many of us are still involved in our industry are they, these these reserves on the edge of the Kruger Park, of course, uh, Marla Marla, the famous one, started in 1965, I believe. Mm-hmm. The Varty family then started Londolozi in the early yeah. 70s. We were discussing over dinner last night, and you, I was hanging on every word that you were saying. Describe some of those early experiences if you went to a private game reserve, because it's a little bit different than it is today. Oh, yeah. Now, look, <laughs> everything was just about people people seeing the animals. It didn't really, you know, the, there wasn't the ethics that comes with it, like, it was today so they used to have hides I mean you know um, and you would sort of sit in and, and be served your drinks while, while some unfortunate wildebeest was hung from a tree and the lions would come in and then a guy would flick the switch and the spotlight would come on and you all sat there and, and watched the lions feed so it wasn't like you went out and on a game drive tracked animals like we do today and have a much more authentic experience it was, it was quite a um, you know quite quite a different experience but I mean they pioneered 
what it is today. I mean, if you think of, we're sitting here in the in the bush today. You think of how many how many thousands of people went on a game drive this morning in Southern Africa. You just look at all those lodges in the Botswana, at all those lodges in the Kruger. I mean, there are now thousands of beds. When when I was lucky enough to work there, there were probably only about four commercial properties in the whole of the Sabi Sands. And you think of how many thousands of beds there. All of them are going on game drive today because of what was started there. In the, you know in in the early in the 60s so it's it's fascinating to see how the whole things changed you know, and and to see what was important in terms of the kind of luxury of the product in those days like there had to be an open and a closed game viewing vehicle just in case the weather wasn't right I mean we we could never afford that today and. Um, and you know this idea that one needed two bathrooms to get ready for the game drive in the morning so that uh, the guide wasn't kept waiting you know it was those kind of things that we just don't do anymore but that was considered you know to be the sort of ultimate luxury incredible days you mentioned the word pioneer and here on Frontierland, i've had the privilege of of interviewing some incredible people that can be considered as pioneers but when we talk about wildlife tourism here in the eastern cape who are some of the significant figures we can we can sort of give acknowledgement to here well i think we have to start with the late colin rashmere um and tony fuller who started what was then called kericha park um, which is, is now turned into a, a wonderful game reserve down on our coastline um, in Kericha Game Reserve. And, and then obviously to to Adrian Gardner, I think, you know, the one the one thing that what Adrian's done is that he put such a big marketing machine around um, developing, you know, the wildlife tourism, developing Shamwari in the Eastern Cape. I mean, I, I, you know, I'll safely say that, you know, we would have been very reluctant to come and develop Kwandwe if it hadn't been those those people that had come before us and and already had established products. So, you know, um, I think I think there's a really special relationship amongst the what we are really at the end of the day competitors. Um, but we you know we have an association called Indalo which we cooperate through um, on on matters of mutual interest. You know, obviously we leave the the kind of um, competition at the door um, and 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 I think the, the great thing about us is that we market our region and and I think that's what Adrian kind of taught us is that we have to market our region to get people here and uh, certainly I know that if I if I market the Kwandwe and somebody lands up at another Eastern Cape game reserve there at least there's still a bit of a win in it so it it is an incredibly competitive industry um, you will see, and and I think to a fault actually, um, because we don't we compete sometimes in the wrong spaces. Like I talk about the scat to cushion war, you know, at some stage you're going to a lodge and there would be you couldn't see the bed. There were so many scat to cushions, you know, um, and and the design elements and the food and things that it's just been the envelopes just being pushed more and more. Whereas, um, you know, uh, I. I suppose I come from a, a somewhat older generation where for me the wildlife experience the quality of the guiding um, you know and and the sort of commitment to to what we're doing the long-term decisions and you know is somewhat more important but South Africa has just become so competitive and then you know within South Africa then we compete with Botswana Zambia is a fantastic product and then of course the kind of grand old dame of African wildlife tourism is East Africa. Everybody sees the sunset, they watch the movie out of Africa, they watch The Lion King, that's where they want to go. You know, so it's, you, you don't actually realize, if you take one of our international guests, 
first of all, they have to make the decision to come on holiday to Africa. That's the first thing they've got to do. They, I mean, think of everywhere else that can go. Um, then they've got to then they've got to decide which country they're coming to. Then they've got to decide, you know, which property they're going to within or which region. Then which property. So it's it's a it's a very very competitive market, and we compete with um, you know the Masamara, the Serengeti, the Okavango, the South Luangwa, you know, Mana Pools, and it just keeps going on and on. We're really lucky that we have, you know, our cousin down the road in Cape Town, <laughs> the Table Mountain, um, you know, that does draw a lot of international tourism. So, and, and obviously our proximity to that helps enormously. The fact that we don't have the Anopheles mosquito and its malaria with us helps. Um, but at the end of the day, we still have to deliver the product that the guest wants and the experience. Um, and, the, and really the product is the experience. Um, so it's... It's a lot tougher than it looks, um, you know, from the outside. Once, you know, um, and the the competitive nature of it is what what keeps us all, you know, on our toes every day. Well, the Eastern Cape spirit is something that uh, is going to keep me here. It's something fantastic. You said you're all in competition, but you're actually all winning if we get tourists to this part of the of the the country of course so anybody listening to this because this uh, podcast is listened internationally mm-hmm. who hasn't been to south africa and is considering to see our wonderful wildlife why should they choose the eastern cape uh, that's very easy <laughs> we here yeah. um no I, th- I think first of all from a landscape perspective there's nowhere more beautiful you know the, whether you're on the karoo uh, or on the coast um, the, the landscape is what really sets us aside and, and the beauty of the topography and then the variety of it that, that goes with it. And I think the, the, the biodiversity within that um, system is what really makes, you know, if you come here, you, you're seeing everything from Kudu, Springbuck, Oryx, Eland, um, you know, black rhino you know so it's it's not just about obviously people want to see the the things with big teeth um but at the end of the day the the diversity of what you see here um you know far outweighs the the, um you know all the all the big teeth i mean you must still see the guys with the teeth um with the business end um but you know what is really important as well is is the kind of um the big sky feel that you get in the Eastern Cape, the sense of space, um, and and then obviously the diversity of species, and that's bird, birds, animals, um, vegetation, you know. Whereas for me, um, a kind of monotonous sort of um, flat country. Once you spend time in the Eastern Cape, you go to that. It, form, it becomes boring quite quickly. Whereas here, you always you always have that anticipation of what's over the next hill and uh, I just think that the experience here um, if delivered correctly is is far outweighs anything else in South Africa. And there's so much variety here I mean as part of my research what a privileged job I've got Uh, (laughs) I've visited a lot of the reserves they're all different Uh, visually they're different there's a different feel the landscape is different Um, and that gives us that great variety within a small area doesn't it? Yeah I mean I'd uh, I suppose I should go and look this up, but I mean, I, if you just take a drive from the Alexandria Dune Forest, you, you drive up one of the estuaries, you look at that vegetation, you come into this thicket biome of the Great Fish River Valley, you go out of that, you go into the Karoo, you go up into the Camdebu area, you swing back and come back through Hogsback with its Afro-Montane Forest. Now if you 
if you really think of how far you've driven, you actually haven't driven that far. But the the variety of biomes, I mean, let's take the, the grassland biome of the Bedford, Adelaide district, Somerset East. Um, you've also got wonderful forest up in, in Somerset East on the Bosbach. I mean, to see that kind of variety within one province, and I haven't even been down to the Bavians Cliff yet. Right. You know, I'm just talking about this this area here, and then obviously further further east of us. I mean, our, our coastline, and th- I mean, uh, it has to be the most diverse province in in South Africa. Yeah, without a doubt. Let's look at a bigger picture here now, if I may, Angus. In terms of conservation, I'm fascinated by plans to drop fences between the reserves and rewild extensive tracts of land. Do you see this as viable? And if so, why is this so important? Um, look, the, you know, from a conservation perspective, the bigger the area, the less human influence required. Um, not no human influence, but the less human influence, the less management um, is required. Uh, the better the ecosystem functions, the better the genetic systems function as well, with it, you know, which is a byproduct of that. Um, so, you know, Going back to my time at Malamala, we pulled down our fence line between um, the Sabi Sands and the Kruger National Park. It was part of our job in 1993, I think, we pulled that fence down. But once again, there were no tourists. Um, so we pulled that fence, and and there was immediate movement of animals. You could almost, you know, we a whole lot of white rhino moved out of the Sabi Sands. Sable antelope came back into the Sabi Sands. Breeding herds of elephant came into the Sabi Sands. Um, so it, and the system just becomes that much more natural. So that's the the conservation side of it. I think the the benefits are enormous. The bigger the space, I mean, it's, a, it's kind of an obvious thing. There's an there's another byproduct to it as well, and that is the marketability of it starts becoming more important because these are these what the, some people like to refer to as conservation islands start being linked together and great for conservation great for marketing um, the province as well and it, it shows a much longer term commitment this is the one thing about this industry is you have a great privilege to make long-term decisions because short-term decisions just bite you your long-term decisions everything is actually probably not about your generation and i'm saying long term i'm talking about 20 years i'm talking about 100 years because you make such significant changes to the landscape that have been made 100 years ago now you're trying to go back there um it, those decisions need to have long-term implications not short-term implications so you know for the long term the better the best the objective to have is to have bigger conservation areas. I mean, within our we're a similar age. Within our lifetime, are we going to see this happen here in the Eastern Cape? Definitely. Good. I yeah, within the optimism. next. No, no. Within, within the next five years, you'll see the first of it happening. I think. It it takes a while. Um, you know, there's uh, like everything in life, things need to be worked out. There will be teething problems, and. Um, you know, it's what I refer to as bumps in the road. We just need to get over them um, and and work things out. But if there is a collective, um, you know, idea and 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 will to do it, then then it'll happen. And I I, I know there is already. Well, I, I think that's one of the benefits of being here in the Eastern Cape. A lot of these families have lived here for generations. The original settlers were here, created this landscape through commercial farming, changed the way that the land looked. And the irony is, of course, now we're going back to that original state, aren't we? Yeah, to, to a large extent we are. You know, I mean, here where we sit in the Great Fish River Valley, I mean, this is one of the 
one of the greatest wildlife areas if you if you look back in the in the history books you read skied those types of things i mean there was a there were herds of elephants you know that walked up and down this river you know that that numbered in their thousands so it's um you know it's just the unfortunate that european settlement hit here first and uh, and then there's a little bug called the tsetse fly that was you know that was uh, that didn't occur here but did occur in other areas um, and gave the sli- sleeping sickness to the to the cattle so if you go and you look now at the original the big national parks of africa most of them were created because there was tsetse fly there. If you look at Kruger, you look at the Okavango, you couldn't farm cattle in the Okavango. Too many tsetse flies. You couldn't farm it in Serengeti, Masamara, maybe to a different extent, but even in the Kruger there were tsetse flies. So it was because you couldn't put cattle there, whereas we didn't have that here. So this was kind of colonized a bit earlier. Um, look, I would to be frank, I would I would hate to be a cattle farmer here. I mean, this is rough terrain. I thought I'd been in some rough areas until I came here. I mean, it's a it's quite a jumble of tangled, spiky things that, um, and it's it's rough country. Um, this is this area is supposed to have wildlife in it. I don't think there's, you know, I think uh, the Fish River flowing permanently um, maybe makes it slightly easier. But uh, I would have it would have been tough here before that. Must have been some tough people who existed in this valley before we arrived yes i mean they they i think they were placed here and they they made a go of it mm-hmm. and uh, they should be admired for that but people like yourself now with the vision to change the way of the landscape to do things that are kind of can we say to our planet should also be admired and it's it's been a privilege to be here and thank you so much for your welcome and as i said anybody listening please come and visit kwandwe because it's it's a magnificent magnificent part of the world that's for sure Thank you for your time. Great. Thanks very much, Dean. That was Frontierland with Dr. Dean Allen. For more podcasts, visit algoafm.co.za.